podcast of sermons by Pastor Charles St. Ange, LCMS missionary in Montreal, Quebec, and the Caribbean. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. You may be seated. In many quarters of the church, definitely in places like Africa, South America, and even certain places in Asia, There is an absolute love among preachers to talk about visions, to talk about revelations, to talk about miracles. And in that way, a great many preacher in Africa, in South America, and Asia has built up a great church. And even certain places in North America love to talk about pastors who have these miraculous interventions of the Lord, appearances of angels, great works of healing. And in such a way, build up a great following. But not Paul, who is, after all, the greatest of all the missionaries of the Christian church, who was the one who convinced even Jesus's initial followers that they had to leave Israel, that they had to do what the Lord commanded and bring the gospel even to the ends of the earth. Paul focuses on the thorns not the visions. Paul says, I am going to preach about my weaknesses, not my strengths, that the strength of Christ might be seen in the thorn that's in my side. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, as we get to the end of this second letter of Paul to this city in Greece, and this small group of Christians, probably very much like this group of Christians gathered here this morning, is a man of two visions. He's really two men. A man who was lifted up into the third heaven and a man who wants to talk about his sorrows and his weakness. Now, the first man is like those preachers I just talked about. The preachers in many places who want to talk about the visions and the prophecies and the angels and the revelations. And Paul talks about him in the third person. I know a man who is caught up to the third heavens. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. But I know a guy. And he has seen great things. And of course, that's what a lot of people want to see in a pastor. A holy man. Someone who has a closer connection to God than they do. And surely, somebody who has had visions and been given prophecies, and who has seen angels, is closer to God than all of you, right? That's the kind of pastor we want. And Paul says, I know a guy just like that. But then Paul pivots and says, but I'm not going to boast about myself. It's great that that guy has all these things. I'll, I'll boast about him in the third person. That's great that God has given him all those things. But Paul's going to now shift and talk about the second man. And this is a man of pain and a man of sorrow. Paul says, I was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, thorn, when you think of thorn, you probably think of those plants that you've got in the backyard, maybe a rose bush, those little little tiny things that, you know, when you go to trim them, they get stuck in your hand. Ow, that's annoying. But then, you know, you take tweezers and you pull them out. It's not that big a deal. The the Greek word here that we translate as thorn is, is almost like a dagger. 
like a ceremonial sword that I know in certain faiths is carried in your leg. That's what's stabbing him continually in the side. And Paul says, I'm going to talk about this guy because he is carrying around in his body. I, Paul, am carrying around in my flesh this thorn, this dagger, this sword that's digging into my side and it's driving me crazy. A messenger of shaitan, he calls it, the accuser, the opponent. Now, what was this thorn? Paul never really says. I think there's two possibilities for those of you who want to chase that rabbit, as a pastor friend of mine used to call these things during the sermon, so that I help you trace down and track down the rabbit before it hops out of the field. There's two possibilities for what this thorn is. One is his eyes. And I know some of you can identify with that. Paul writes to the Galatian church. He says, I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Now, why eyes? It's quite possible that ever since Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, where he sees this blinding light and he hears the voice of the Lord who says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, that ever since that moment, Paul has struggled with being able to see. And there are hints of that in the epistles. Those of you with physical ailments who have cried out to the Lord for help can identify with Paul. Three times I prayed, and by prayed, I don't think it meant he went into his closet and got down for two or three minutes and did his devotions. I think he was fasting. I think he was prostrate before the Lord, possibly for days, asking, Lord, you have healed the sick, you have raised the dead, you have given sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. Surely, I, who am your great apostle, could be given my eyes back. And yet Jesus said no. But there's another possibility, and it could be that it was his pride that had nothing to do with his physical body at all. Now, why would Paul have had pride? Well, he comes right out and says it in the 22nd chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. As he's getting into full preaching gear, as he is laying out the case for Jesus, being the Son of God and the Savior of the world, to the Jewish people and to their rulers. And as he's really getting into preaching steam here, he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, raised in this city, Jerusalem. I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel in strict conformity to the law of our fathers. I am just as zealous for God as any of you here today. Now, you might not know who Gamaliel was. He's actually mentioned in the book of Acts earlier on. He's the one who suggests to the authorities that maybe they would be better letting the disciples go instead of executing them and making another set of martyrs. Gamaliel was one of the two main Jewish teachers in Jerusalem at the time. To say you sat at the feet of Gamaliel is like saying, you know, I, I got my doctorate from McGill, and then I did my postdoc at Harvard, and I did a fellowship, the University of Texas or some other big school. You know, I'm well educated. I have been to the Sorbonne. That's what Paul's saying. And why would you say that if not for having a little bit of pride? 
Hey, you guys out there, I know the Torah. I know the law. I have read the prophets and studied them, and I know them. And not only do I know them, but I've been more zealous for them than all of you. That's a little prideful, isn't it? Ever had somebody come up to you and say, I know more than you? <laughs> How's it make you feel? I'm more committed to the church than you? How does that make you feel? But that's Paul. And yet he is the last of the apostles. He says, as if one untimely born, born at the wrong moment, in the wrong way, I got picked to be an apostle. And I'm at the back of the line behind Peter. I never knew the man. I'm not his disciple, right? That Peter. I'm behind Thomas. Unless I put my finger in the nail holes of his hands and put my hand inside, I will not believe. James and John, right? Hey, Jesus, can we sit at your right and at your left and rule with you when you come into your kingdom? Paul is behind all of them. He who sat at the feet of Gamaliel and knows the Torah backward and forward and can recite Isaiah from memory has to take a second seat behind these fishermen from Galilee. Maybe there's a little bit of pride here. And Paul knows that pride is wrong and prays three times with fasting. Lord, take this burden away from me and set me free. Now, whether it was his eyesight or his pride, the most important thing is what the Lord told Paul and which Paul now shares with you and with me this morning. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, what is grace? Livy knows what grace is. I'm always so proud of her when I ask at the kitchen table. She says, I know what grace is, Dad. Undeserved kindness. Undeserved kindness. Somebody is nice to you, even though you have just slapped them in the face. That is grace. And it's what God does for all of us. And what Jesus says is that undeserved kindness that God shows to us in his son who died on the cross, who shed his blood that should have been our blood, is enough. Now, if the Lord came to us and said, my blank is sufficient for you and left it up to us to fill in that blank, I know what we'd probably fill it with. My wealth is sufficient for you. If I had a million dollars, I'd be rich. <laughs> There's all sorts of things I could do with a million. Could, couldn't couldn't Jesus' money be sufficient for us? My power is sufficient for you. I can't tell you as a pastor how much I would dearly love to be able to go to the hospital and lay hands on somebody and have them walk out healed. And I also know it would not be healthy, no pun intended. My health is sufficient for you. Wouldn't it be great if we just prayed to Jesus every time we got the sniffles and bang, we got better? Wouldn't it be great if the only people in the world that didn't get COVID were Christians? Wouldn't that draw attention to the church? Wouldn't that fill up the pews? And yet the Lord says, that would also not be wise. 
Because what Jesus wants us to have is his grace. My grace is sufficient for you. By the grace of God, I am what I am, Paul said. I didn't deserve to be an apostle. Yes, I think I would be a better leader than Peter in my sinful moments. Yes, I think I know more than James and John and Thomas and all of them put together. But at the end of the day, what makes me be able to live a life of meaning and serve my neighbor is not that God gave me money or power or health, but that he has shown me undeserved kindness. That while I was his enemy, Jesus reconciled me with his father. If we don't get that theology right, then what we go outside these walls to share with the world will end up being not just wrong, but dangerous. If we are like those pastors that want to preach the revelations and the dreams and the visions and the prophecies, in essence, preach the power of God rather than his grace, we will do damage to Jesus and his message. And right now, our world is overflowing with examples of what happens when you go about mission without thinking about the gospel and the grace of God and letting Jesus's grace be sufficient for you and for the world. We've just gone through a somewhat awkward Canada Day, where instead of our usual, yay, Canada Day was more like, yay, And we've had to think about what it means to be a country and what it means to be the church and what it means to be a church that says, I know how to go out and make Christians out of people that aren't. And what happens when a church does those things without really thinking through what it means to preach the gospel? The residential schools are a wonderful example to all missionaries everywhere of what happens when you do mission without understanding theology correctly without understanding that none of us can stand before God. None of us deserve the gospel. And that no matter where we are from on earth, we are all equally recipients of the grace of God. 500 years ago, the reformers in Germany saw what the church was and says, this is a disaster, not just for theology, but for mission. Because if you have a church that goes out there and thinks that theology is all about power, then mission will become all about power. And it will all be about me being better than you. And the thorn will be what gets preached instead of the grace. And that's what happened. That's why there are no Lutheran residential schools. You've got to get your theology correct or you will do damage. Christian nationalism comes out of the same misunderstanding. It comes out of this desire for the visions and the dreams and the prophecies and the power and the wealth and the health instead of the grace of God. How many people do you know? Maybe not so many here in Montreal, but you might have heard of them on YouTube or seen them on Instagram that talk about winning their city or province, or nation, or country for Jesus. I remember being here in Montreal round about the time that the Montreal Canadiens last played in the Stanley Cup. So you know how long ago that was. And that summer, there was a march for Jesus 
through Rosemont La Petite Patrie. All in English, mind you, in one of the most French quarters of the city with a whole bunch of Christians chanting and singing about winning back Montreal for Jesus, as if Jesus is somehow on vacation and incapable of fighting his own battles. As if somehow Jesus is on a cloud somewhere and saying, if only I had an army that I could send out there and by power of singing and message, win back Montreal for me. Or India. Or Pakistan. Or Quebec. Or the United States of America. Or any country of the world. Do you think those countries are not already Jesus's? Do you think he is not already Lord? of every single nation on earth. Did he not say, as you just heard this morning, Singh family, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's not like the authority is given to Jesus and then he puts it in a box somewhere. Jesus says, the church preaches grace. Salvation comes first through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, where he gives us the forgiveness of sins freely without cost and says, repent from your ways and live. My grace is sufficient for you. When we repent and acknowledge our weakness, Paul says, then we are the strongest people on earth because we no longer go out into the world with chips on our shoulders, believing we can manipulate people, believing that we are all about wealth or health or power, but we are about the one thing that the world needs more right now than anything else. Grace, forgiveness, reconciliation, Evidence that God is not about smiting the world, but saving the world through his son. There's a famous interview, often attributed to Mother Teresa, although I cannot find the source, in which someone is speaking with her and looks around at all of the poverty in her neighborhood and says, how do you really think that you are able to help all of these people when the need is overwhelming? She said, I know I can't help them all, but I can help one. That's grace. It's not looking for the power. It's not looking for Jesus to miraculously remove the thorns. It's not looking for the visions and dreams and cures. It is realizing that we have been given the absolute most precious gift of all, that even Jesus' hometown could not accept, that God in Jesus was reconciling them to his Father and thereby reconciling us to each other. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In the name of Jesus Christ, 
Amen. If you'd like to learn more, visit intheway.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless your week.